cold outside. Gotta go away. Baby, it's cold outside. Even it's been. Hoping that you dropped in. Very nice. I'll hold your hands. They're just like mine. I'm sorry, I had to. Uh, oh, man, what a chilly start to the day. Uh, I am so glad I have a garage now and uh, to park my car in because uh, I walked out the uh, door this morning and... I was getting out a log for the fireplace, and man, that wind just hit me in the face. Wow, it was chilly. But, uh, yeah, good morning. Welcome to the Plant Doctor Show. And believe it or not, officially, spring's going to be here on Monday. Uh, I can't get here soon enough. Uh, somebody really needs to shoot that stupid rodent, uh, that woodchuck or groundhog or whatever the heck it is. But, you know... Spring's on its way, and a sure sign of spring is people are going to start dragging out those lawn ornaments. And, yeah, I'm not speaking of, you know, the Santa sleighs or even the spooky Halloween ones. I mean those really, really scary ones, the garden gnomes and the pink flamingos. Uh, my next-door neighbors uh, gave me some of those uh, pink flamingos a couple of years ago. Which, uh, it was for a birthday present, and I gratefully accepted them, and uh, I brought them inside, I painted them black, and uh, now I include them into my Halloween decor. But, uh, you know, whether either you love them or you hate them, you can pretty much guess which side of the fence I'm on, but, uh, you know, to each their own. And, you know, I love, I love to joke about it, but uh, it just goes to prove that people will purchase anything if it's marketed correctly. I mean, seriously, a pink flamingo in Wisconsin. Who in the heck would put that in their lawn? But, uh, you know, remember back in the 70s when they had that guy that had that great idea of taking a rock and stick it into a little brown box, and he called it a pet rock? Yeah, he laughed himself all the way to the bank. And I think his money was stored in the vault right next to the guys that invented the mood ring, uh, which on the other side was the guy that figured out that platform shoes was the way to go. But, uh, yeah, yeah, there will always be some foolish way for you to spend your money. And that acts as a really good segue into what I wanted to talk about today, and that's useless garden tools. Yeah, there are, yeah, ever since the days Madison Avenue's been, you know, they send us all these wonderful things that we could never live without, or could we? I mean, so far, you know, we've done pretty well without them, right? Well, today I figured we'd go over some of the new and wonderful ideas out there, some of them that actually work, and others that are pretty much a waste of your hard-earned dollars. So, you know... Uh, we'll weed out, you know, some of these uh, things that are just gimmicks. But as always, if you've got a question about anything dealing with the gardening world, go ahead and give me a call. Uh, shoot me a text. The number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914. And, you know, if you're thinking about uh, repairing or putting a lawn 
or wondering, you know, uh, thinking ahead to, you know, planting some spring bulbs, which ones you could pop in the ground and, uh, you know, which ones should you have done in the fall uh, that you can't pop in the ground now? Or maybe you got a house plant that's just not looking healthy and you're wondering why. Go ahead and give me a call. We've got three lines open, 608-785-7914 is the number. And good morning. You're on the Plant Doctor Show. Who's this? This is Margaret. Hi, Margaret. What I'd like to know is what do you do about uh, red in your yard? Margaret, can you turn down your uh, radio in the back, please? Yes, I just did. I turned it off. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Now, what was the question? Uh, What do you do to take care of red thread in your yard? Ah, red thread. That's an interesting fungus, and if uh, you don't know what uh, Margaret's talking about, it is a type of fungus that appears in cooler, wet weather, uh, and it kind of looks like we might be going that direction this spring, so it may become a, a big issue. Now, red thread usually won't hurt your lawn. Aesthetically, it can look horrible. And yes, I've... it leaves spots all over. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you're getting spots like little round spots? Well, some are round, some are big, some are small. But that's I, I was told that it was red thread. What time of the year did this come out, Margaret? Early spring. Early spring. Okay. Uh, because you might have a twofold problem. Uh, red thread usually will not kill a lawn, uh, but there are funguses that will, uh, and there. Few of them uh, have like a white to reddish uh, mycelia growth that appear during the summertime too, and I think that's your bigger problem. You might have had the red thread in the spring, but that's not what did the damage to the lawn. Uh, now the red thread itself, it's really hard to get rid of that because the lawn's not usually actively growing. It might be greening up at the point when it hits, but it's not really actively growing, so it's not going to push through it uh, like you want with the regular type of uh, diseases, you know, good healthy growth. But uh, giving it uh, a good uh, balanced fertilization, uh, making sure that uh, because red thread loves a low nitrogen environment, uh, and the nitrogen's the main ingredient in the fertilizer, so uh, it'll kick up in a low nitrogen environment. Uh, there's not that much else you can do to combat that one particular disease, other than uh, maybe uh, a coriration in the fall. That will help out quite a bit, too. Well, is there a fungicide? Uh, there are fungicides that you can put down, but it's not going, like I said, the red thread itself is not going to do that much damage. More than likely what you're getting a hit with uh, that's doing the damage is a different disease called Pythium. And uh, that can, uh, it's very similar to red thread in its appearance, uh, where red thread can totally take over an entire lawn. Uh, Pythium, on the other hand, will uh, it, it takes over little patches and spots. Well, so what do you do for that? Okay, that one, that there are fungicides you can apply. Uh, anyone with manganese or zinc as the uh, active ingredient will uh, help knock that out. Zinc and what? Manganese. 
Can you spell that for me? Oh, gosh, you want me to go back to school. Hang on <laughs> for one second here. Uh, let's see. It's Pythium, and you can use zinc and magnesium. I think that's a Z. Uh, I think it's, okay, don't, you know, hold me to this, but I'll get you in the ballpark. M-A-N, as in man, G-A-N-Z-E, manganese. Okay, well, thank you. Or E-Z, something like that. That'll get you in the ballpark. Okay. Uh, the Yeah, that's uh, the one that you want to uh, use for knocking out pethium. Uh, and also, uh, a coeration in the fall will help uh, keep that from happening. When does this know. usually appear? Uh, pythium will occur a little bit later on in the spring. It enjoys a little bit warmer temps than the uh, red thread does. Okay. And, yeah, if you're not familiar with red thread, uh, it's a <laughs> I remember one day I was uh, driving into work. This was back in New York, actually. And I'm heading on in, and I'm passing by this lawn, and I just jam on the brakes of the car. And I'm staring out at this lawn, and I start laughing. The entire lawn, front lawn of this house, and it was a big front lawn. It was like good 10,000 square feet, was Barbie puke pink. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> I guess. I could not believe how bad it hit that lawn. And it hits in very wet, cool weather. It loves wet 50-degree weather. And uh, good lush growth uh, are the things that it will like. So that's what I'm saying. A coloration will help thin out the lawn a little bit and allow the air to circulate a little bit more, and that should keep actually both diseases from occurring. It'll help uh, keep them away. Okay? Okay. Thank you. Okay. You have a great day, Margaret. You take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. And, yep, the, it's the first fungus call of the year. All right. Uh, but, yeah, that's... It's a much larger problem out east uh, because out here we generally go from winter to summer. Uh, and I'm not saying that as a joke. We do. Uh, we have – it's rare that we get an actual spring out here where, you know, there's a slow warm-up. Uh, back east we used to get that quite often. And it's during that slow warm-up period, if you have a period of wet weather, that red thread becomes an issue. So that's why it's not that – big of a uh, problem out here, but it can be. Uh, last year, uh, we definitely had a true spring, and there was red thread popping up around. There was no doubt about it. So uh, it can be an issue out here just as well. But we're going to go ahead and take a break and take care of a little bit of business, and we'll be right back here at 1410 WISEM, the Plant Doctor Show, in just a minute. If you've got a question about anything growing, it could be about, uh, you know, like Margaret, uh, your lawn, or uh, your garden, trees, shrubs, or even houseplants. Give me a jingle. Shoot me a text. The number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914, and we will be right back. And we had one text come in over the break, so we're going to go ahead and uh, go right over to that. Uh, but if you've got a question about anything green or growing, you can go ahead and give me a call or shoot me a text. The number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914. And this question here is, is this a good week to seed clover over a mowed grass field? And the answer is yeah and no. Uh, it's, clover seed is a strange seed. 
if you've ever seen it. They're little tiny, tiny, and I mean tiny, round black balls or dark brown balls. Uh, you'd never even think it was a seed. And uh, the shape of them makes it so it penetrates uh, down through thatch layers and it will get down to the soil, and which allows it to grow. And clover is actually a rhizome, or a legume rather, I believe. Uh, and uh, it will, you know, start coming up and it will thicken up. Now, yeah, you can get away with seeding it. Now, it's not going to germinate until it gets uh, to be uh, warmer out. Uh, but I don't see any reason as long as, you know, you don't have snow in your yard, you can go ahead and uh, put down the uh, clover or put down the seed. Uh, personally, I would probably wait until the frost leaves the ground. Uh, it's not really a seed that the birds are going to eat that much of, uh, so you're not going to have to worry about that. But... The ground's frozen right now, so if you've got anything else to do, you know, the t you're not pressed for time, in other words, uh, to get the uh, seed down. So, yeah, you can do it. Would I do it now? If I had more important jobs, I think I would put seed in the uh, clover on hold. And uh, hopefully that's a good enough answer for you. Okay, now back to what I wanted to talk about today, and that is useless garden tools. Uh, and, you know, as I was saying, Madison Avenue loves to separate our good, hard-earned cash from our, our wallets and put it into theirs. And, you know, they come out with all sorts of gimmicks and things like that, but, you know, mixed in, they've got really good things, too. And the hard part is being able to define what's good and what's bad uh, and what's garbage. And usually... Uh, the thing, my, uh, what I've been seeing with it is the more they push something, the more garbage it actually is. Like, uh, everybody is familiar with, <coughs> excuse me, the, you see it every spring and every summer. Oh, uh, the magic grass seed, you water your lawn with uh, this hose, and you put this hose into this little siphon outfit, and it takes this grass seed up, and it sprays it over anything, and it'll grow on anything. It'll grow on concrete. And, yeah, sure enough, this stuff will grow on concrete. And it will sprout in just a day or uh, so. And that's true, too. Yeah, it will sprout in usually about three days. You'll get germination on this stuff. And uh, that's where the good stuff ends. They don't go on to tell you that it is pretty much all annual ryegrass. And the first hot spell, the first time the weather gets above about 87 degrees, oh, it's going to die. And, yeah, annual ryegrass has its place. It's great for uh, erosion control. Uh, if you're wanting to do a uh, planting on a hillside and you want to do it cheaply and get away with not putting down hay, uh, you can mix some annual ryegrass seed into it. And uh, that way there, the grass, that stuff there will sprout within three days. 
and, you know, it'll hold the rest of the seed in place until, uh, you know, that stuff uh, comes in and takes over. But you only want to use a really small percentage of it. Otherwise, it has a chance of taking over the lawn, and that you don't want. But this uh, thing that they have that, you know, they go out and they hook it up to the siphon uh, thing on your hose, and you're basically hydro-seeding your lawn with uh, this stuff. And, yeah, it's going to sprout. It's going to thicken up. And, yeah, you're going to have those exact same dead spots come, uh, you know, later on in June once the weather warms up a bit. So, yeah, that's just one example of one of the many things that are out there that's not really worth your while. And they put a lot of money behind that uh, ad campaign because, you know, you see it pretty much all spring and uh, going into the summer. Uh, You can't get away from those ads. And, yes, that's just an example of it. Now, like I said, there are some products out there that are good. And uh, there's a lot, though, that are just out there to make you spend your money. So I figured today we could hit on uh, both of them. And let's start off with one that is pretty good. And I've seen this for sale in many stores. And uh, it's this time of the year that they come out. And everybody asks me if they're gimmicks or not. And that's those little peat pillows for starting seeds. And if you're not familiar with what they look like, they look like compressed peat moss, a little disc of compressed peat moss. And it generally has this, like, little plastic webbed bag around it. It looks kind of like a hairnet. Uh, That would be a really good description of it. And it has a little depression in the uh, top, and that's where you place your seed. And uh, you put these things into a tray. Uh, like a plastic tray, and you water them, and they absorb water just like a sponge, and they puff up, and they grow up tall. These little compressed discs, which are about, oh, between a quarter and a half an inch tall, will grow up to be about three inches tall. And uh, the seed will be enveloped by it as uh, the disc turns into this little tall standing thing of wet peat moss, and it's a great way of starting your seeds. Uh, you're not doing them in soil. You're doing them in, uh, directly into the peat moss. Uh, this works fantastic for any acid-loving plant. Uh, the plants that are not acid-loving, maybe not so great of a, uh, an idea, but so it's not going to work on all seeds, and that's why I'm not going to give this one a 10. Uh, yeah, I figured I'd rate these things today on a scale of uh, 0 to 10. Uh, so I'm going to give this one a, an 8.5 because they really do work well, but uh, they're not for all plants. Uh, a lot of the marketing uh, makes it look like you can plant anything in there. And for some of the plants, uh, like uh, lettuce does not enjoy uh, an acid soil. You're not going to have uh, really good growth on that. Also, you don't want to... Uh, for a root crop in these either. Uh, I suppose you could and then transplant them, but if uh, you do, you want to make sure that you cut the bottom out of that uh, hair nutting before you pop them into the ground. Otherwise, you're going to constrict the uh, growth of the uh, root, and uh, you're not going to have a decent-sized vegetable in that case or a decent-sized fruit to bear. 
But, yeah, I'd say they get a solid 8.5 on uh, my, uh, you know, good item scale. Okay, that's going to bring us uh, to our news break, and we will be right back here at 1410 WIGM, the Plant Doctor Show, in just a couple of minutes. Looks like we had a call come in, but we don't have enough time to take them, but uh, they'll be our first caller when we come back. We'll be back here at 1410 WIGM in just a minute. And we are back uh, at the Plant Doctor Show, and we had one caller coming in just as we were going over to the news. So we're going to jump uh, right over to the phone lines, but we still have two open ones, too, at 608-785-7914 for any plant or gardening questions. And you can shoot me a text on that number, too, if you wish. Uh, again, that number is 608-785-7914. Good morning. You're on the Plant Doctor Show. Who's this? Uh, hi, this is Leo. Hey, Leo. How's and, it going? Uh, I have two questions this morning. Fire away. One of them is about my rhubarb. Mm-hmm. When the spring comes, all the dead leaves that are laying on the ground in the garden there, mm-hmm. uh, should I pick them up and put them in recycling, or should I let them rot there to feed the rhubarb plant? And oh. at the same time, uh, uh, one of my neighbors used to take all his eggshells and crush them and throw them in there, and uh, some of his kitchen extra garbage, but I don't want to do that because I don't want it to start stinking. But And then he said coffee grounds are good for the the rhubarb. I need your opinion. Okay, a uh, couple things. Uh, now, actually, the coffee and the eggshells contradict, contradict each other. Uh, coffee uh, you put down when you're wanting something to be acidic. Eggshells you put down when you want to sweeten the soil. Uh, rhubarb likes acidic, so I would go with the coffee grounds. Uh, now, that being said, as far as uh, picking up the leaves go uh, or composting, no, I would not compost rhubarb uh, because every part of it uh, other than the leaf itself is poisonous, or the, uh, the stalk to the uh, leaf is poisonous. Uh, and you don't want to go sticking something that poisonous inside your compost bin. It's not that your plants will turn poisonous, but, you know, still I'd rather keep it out. Now, uh, if you wish to leave it lay around it, uh, the rhubarb rhubarb leaves are big, and they will uh, also block other things from growing right in that area. So if you want to allow it to lay, uh, you know, as a mulch, hey, go for it. It's not going to hurt anything. It will slowly break down into a fertilizer that will be about 1-1-1 as far as its uh, breakdown goes. So uh, it will uh, turn back into a fertilizer uh, over time. It will be a little bit beneficial to the plant, but I would think that other, you know, fertilizers that you can uh, give it would be a lot better. But you have to be careful when you're fertilizing rhubarb because uh, if you uh, punch it with too much nitrogen, which is the active ingredient in most fertilizers, uh, the plants will send up major flowers and seed stalks, and at that time, the uh, leaf stems, uh, which is what you're, you know, uh, looking for on them, uh, will grow long and thin and spindly. So uh, that's not what you want. So there's a real fine line between fertilizing it, getting it right, and going too much. So I would never go higher than a... Uh, 
10 on the first number of the fertilizer when you're uh, fertilizing rhubarb. Okay? Okay, okay. Now, the second question was, uh, in my lawn, I have these, I call them uh, quack grass, but I don't know what really the name is for it. Mm -hmm. It's a leaf that's a lot wider than the grass, and it all grows out of a little clump. Okay. And you can grab the whole clump and yank it out, and the roots come out and all that. Okay. How do I get rid of those besides the pulling them out? <laughs> okay. Unfortunately, uh, any of these grassy weeds are a pain in the neck to uh, rid your lawn of. The best way to do it is to regularly fertilize your lawn, and that means uh, about four times a year uh, you want to do it uh with the holidays is the best way that I see. Uh a veteran or uh, Memorial Day, the fourth of July, Labor Day and Halloween are the best times to fertilize. And by having a good thick luscious one it'll help choke out that quack grass. To get rid of it, you do not want to allow it to go to seed. Make sure it gets cut. If you start seeing it go in the seed, cut it down. Uh, go out and run uh, the lawnmower over it. Uh, and uh, if you, the only other real, real way of getting rid of it is to go out and spot spray Roundup and, and kill it because uh, it is a true grass. It's you're not going to find a uh, weed killer that's going to differentiate that between that and the you know the good grasses in your lawn. So uh, you're kind of stuck with it, unfortunately. Because we have the lawn treatment that comes in, you know, four, four or five times a year. Okay. But that it's only in one section of my lawn. It, okay. it seems like the soil is not very good over there, no. and uh, that's where it's growing. And, uh, yeah, it likes to come up in thinner areas. Uh, if that's the case, what I would do is if it's just in that one area, then go ahead and uh, let your lawn care company know that you're going to do this. But uh, come late summer, or uh, no, I'm sorry, about midsummer, go out there and spot spray it with Roundup. Kill it. Get rid of it. Uh, you're going to wind up killing the uh, little areas in your lawn, but then go ahead and seed over the top of it. Uh, uh, one of the tools I was about to talk about was uh, the garden weasel which is a really good tool. It's like a uh, cultivator that goes on a rake handle. You can buy them in any of the hardware stores. Walmart has them uh, in their garden department. They are a wonderful tool to have in your arsenal. And you just move this back and forth uh, across the soil, and it will act just like a little mini rototiller. And it will uh, loosen up the soil. Uh, it will loosen up the roots uh, to the uh you know, dead quack grass, and go ahead and get it out of there, put down your seed, and uh, then go ahead and, you know, uh, make sure it stays well watered going into the fall, and that will thicken it up and, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, take care of your issues for you. Okay? Okay. Well, thank you very much for your advice. Uh, thank you, Leo, for the call, and you have a great day. Okay. Yeah, bye. Bye-bye. Uh, yep, spring must be in the air. We're getting uh, lawn care questions. I love it. Good morning, you're on Plant Doctor Show. Who's this? Al up in Tremplo. Hey, Al. How's it going? Uh, chilly. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> chilly to make down a, in Alaska, too. Good to make a too. phone call. Uh, what can I do for you? Uh, 
I had a big patch of oriental lilies, and a couple of years ago, I had a mole go through that area, and I don't know, they don't, I don't think they eat vegetation, but at any rate, the lilies didn't come back. Hmm. Um, I would like to replant them, and I, I think orientals are what I'm talking about. They're the real smelly ones, get real tall. Stargazer is one of them. Stargazer, the, okay, yep. Yeah. Okay, yeah. go ahead. When is the optimum time to plant them? Those are spring-planted uh, plants. They are? Yes, okay. they are. Okay. Uh, you do not need to winter them over in order to get uh, blooms. Uh, and go ahead and plant them in the spring, and those are plant and forget about. Uh, you don't have to dig them out every year. Right. Uh, now, uh, that being said, moles do not eat the bulbs. But unfortunately, what they do is a lot of the insects that uh, they like to eat do. And if the insects are, you know, like the worms and stuff like that are in there and in between your bulbs and uh, burrowing into them, they'll go right after them anyhow. They don't, they're not particular. So uh, they'll go right after them anyhow. And that's what happened. Uh, but moles are uh, carnivores. They do not eat. Yeah. They don't eat uh, plant uh, material. Yeah, that's what I figured, but I suppose they disturbed them enough and or chewed up the bulbs to get at the insects. Exactly, and that's what happened, and unfortunately, you know what the uh, ramifications of that are now. But uh, And there's no way of keeping uh, – you don't want to keep earthworms and stuff like that away from uh, your garden because they're very beneficial. Uh, and in order to keep the bugs and things away from your garden, you're going to wind up taking out the earthworms as well. So it's just a chance that we got to take. Yep, that's kind of the way I figured. But I, my main concern was when I could plant those. If I plant them now, will they bloom this year? Yeah. Yep. Oh, great. Uh, they'll be blooming uh, later on in the uh, summer. Actually, uh, my neighbor last year got a bunch of them, and... Uh, Somebody had uh, given them to her, and she planted them in the spring, and by the end of the summer, she had quite a few uh, really nice blooms on them. Great. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. Have a good day. Stay warm. Yeah, you too. Take care now. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's going to take care. Did we have another call coming in? Looked like it, but they hung up. That line keeps lighting up and then disappearing. I don't know what's going on. Because it shouldn't have been that one there that lit up. But if you're trying to get through, please go ahead and give it a try again. Uh, It'd be a great time. We don't have any uh, lit up lines. Uh, 608-785-7914. Okay, let's see. We took care of the clover question. So let's go back to talking about the useless garden tools. And, uh, okay, I covered the garden weasel. I want to hit that one until later. But the garden weasel, I will give a 10 out of 10. Uh, these things here should be in every homeowner's uh, arsenal of uh, garden tools. I think they're an outstanding value. Uh, they're pretty cheap. Uh, sometimes you can get them with the uh, poles. Uh, you know, it's like a rake pole. If not, you're going to have to uh, utilize one of the, a pole off of an old rake. Uh, they're... When you buy them, uh, they'll just have, you know, it's very easy. You you unscrew a little uh, wing screw and then uh, slide the uh, pole in and retighten it back up again. It'll lock it into place, and you're good to go. And they are extremely good tools. 
you will see those sold in the back of magazines uh, and uh, end caps in some of the stores in the area, and they are very good. They get a 10 out of 10. Next one, however, does not. And I know people that uh, they swear up and down by these things, and my brother's one of them. And it is actually a good idea, but that does come with a major issue. And that's the topsy-turvy, upside-down tomato growers. And what they are are a plastic bag. And uh, in case you didn't realize it, tomatoes are a vine. And they will grow pretty much in any direction. And the idea behind this is you hang this bag of soil, and you put the seed in the bottom, and, uh, you know, the seed will sprout downwards and then start growing upwards once it comes out of the bag and they'll grow up towards the light and you will grow your tomatoes. Now, I'll talk about the good side of this first. With the uh, phytophthora, the disease that's in the area, taking out tomatoes, this will definitely help keep them up and away from the ground. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, because the disease uh, transfers from the ground, it can even splash up if your plant is in a pot on the ground and if rain hits it, uh, the raindrops splashing back onto the plant uh, can be enough to uh, transfer the disease. So by having this in a hanging uh, position, you're getting it up and away from the ground. And yeah, you can still get the disease because insects and birds can uh, transfer it, but you're a lot better off. You're getting ahead of the game. The bad part about this one here, and hopefully they work it out in the future, because like I said, it is a good idea. Unfortunately, the bags are made out of this plastic. that uh, They're trying to be green or what have you, and they want to use a biodegradable plastic, which is a great idea but at least use one that lasts an entire season. These bags break down before the season's over, and they get brittle and they fall apart. So I'm going to give this one a solid three. Uh, I'll give it a 3.5. Uh, it would be a lot higher if they can take care of that one issue. Uh, but to me, that one issue renders them pretty much useless. Uh, if they're not going to last all the way through the season, what's the sense of getting them? And you have to, you know, keep re-getting them every year. But uh, it is an outstanding idea, though. But for all intents and purposes, you can do the same thing with the pillowcase, very honestly. Okay, we got one more caller coming in. Let's jump over to the phone lines, uh, two open ones, and uh, no text, 608-785-7914. Good morning. You're on the Plant Doctor Show. Who's this? Uh, this is Jerry. Hey, Jerry. What can I do for you? Uh, you were just talking about upside-down tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine was telling me about upside-down zucchinis. Same thing. It is, if you stick zucchinis upside-down, you can avoid mildew and and, and avoid uh, rabbit carnage. Mm-hmm. Have you heard, yeah. have you heard of that? Yeah. Uh, you can grow zucchini, you can grow cucumbers, uh, but you can grow a lot of these uh, vine-type things. Of course, I wouldn't try growing, uh, you know, like uh, some of the heavier squashes 
or pumpkins or something along those lines. But uh, mm-hmm. the lighter ones uh, you can grow in these uh, bags. And for zucchini or cucumbers, uh, I, what you should do is plant it in the bag. <coughs> Excuse me. Plant it in a bag and hang it along next to some lattice work. And that way there the vines can grab a hold of the lattice work and you're good to go. Now, in the case of a tomato, uh, the plant is strong enough to hold the weight of the fruit. But in the case of zucchini, they can get pretty big. So uh, you're not going to want that much weight coming out of the bag itself. So that's why you want to have it uh, up against some lattice work to where it can uh, go ahead and, you know, grasp a hold of that and, you know, just grow away. And you'll be good to go. You're getting it up away from uh, the critters. Uh, Granted, you might be putting it right at mouth level for the deer, but, uh, you know, hey, they'd bend over for it anyhow. Now, as far as the diseases go, since it's not lying on the ground, it's got a lot more air circulation, and that in itself will help keep the uh, diseases from occurring. Okay? All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you for the call, and you have a great day. And, yeah, that's going to bring us uh, to our next break. Uh, We're going to take care of a little bit of business here and a little bit of weather. But we will be right back here at 1410 WIZM in just a minute or two. Go ahead and give me a call. Shoot me a text. You've got more than enough time to answer your questions. 608-785-7914, and we will be right back. We've got one caller uh, and one text message. Uh, Let's go ahead and get the text message done uh, before we go over to the caller. And at first I was wondering if this guy was kidding. Uh, but then I, the end of what he uh, wrote, uh, I do have to agree with him on it. And uh, the thing where I thought he was kidding was, uh, where can I buy a large amount of Creeping Charlie? And I want a yard of it. I don't have any neighbors. I want it because it's low-growing, spreads well, and smells good when you cut it. And there's... No doubt about that. I love the smell of Creeping Charlie when it's cut. And it was actually brought here by the settlers as an herb. Uh, It's not an indigenous plant uh, to the area. And uh, it was brought here as a uh, cooking herb. And it got away and took off. Now, as I am sorry, uh, Chris, but most people consider Creeping Charlie a weed. Uh... Actually, I think it's considered a noxious weed, uh, which means it's illegal to sell and plant, uh, or an invasive weed, rather. Uh, I'm not 100% positive of that, but not that I would ever tell anybody to do anything illegal, but uh, there's many places where you can go to get Creepin' Charlie. Any... uh, place you pull off the road that's near a swamp, you get up uh, to the higher ground level and, uh, you know, just look around for it when it's growing. Be careful because there's going to be a lot of ticks in those areas. Uh, alongside of rivers, if you don't have any neighbors, uh, like you mentioned, but hey, you know, call them to buy, sell, and trade, and maybe if somebody has a, a yard full of it, they'll let you come over and uh, dig it, you know, dig out a few plants. Uh, 
Uh, all you're going to need are a few because that stuff does take off like a rocket. Uh, spread it out and go ahead and get going. Uh, you could probably also, uh, it does reproduce by rhizo, meaning uh, the, the vines themselves will stretch out over the grass and re-root themselves. So that means it will root very easily. So if you just take some clippings of it, you don't even need to get the whole plant and just go ahead and start rooting it that way and then uh, pop it out into your lawn. But I don't know of any place that sells it, to be honest with you. But I do agree with you. I love the smell of Creeping Charlie. Uh, it is a fantastic scent. But uh, unfortunately, most people consider it a, uh, a bad weed. So most of my calls are to actually kill Creeping Charlie. But okay, let's jump over to our phone caller. And we've got about three minutes left. Uh, hi, you're on the Plant Doctor Show. What can I do for you? Hi, this is Rick. Um, your earlier conversation about zucchini. Okay. We tried that last year for the first time and got some good production. Okay. And then all of a sudden we started having multiple uh, uh, fruit uh, dying off. And then later noticed that several of the stems had the grub worms or whatever it is in them. Okay. What's the best? And then it also got that fungus on it, the leaves later in the year. Uh, what's the best thing? Uh, I think someone told me use seven mm-hmm. to keep those grubs off. Yes, that's spelled S-E-V-I-N. It's not Correct. like the number. And yes, uh, that will work uh, to keep uh, uh, army uh, cutworms off the uh, zucchini. And uh, about the best fungicide you can use on it would be one called Captan. C-A-P-T-A-N. Uh, that, yep, and that should cover pretty much any of the uh, diseases that would hit it. Uh, it's kind of, if you would look for uh, tomato fungicide, uh, that would probably be about the, the one that would have the uh, the active ingredient captan in it. So any uh, tomato fungicide should uh, be able to cover your zucchini as well. Okay? Okay, the grubs that come up, do they come from the ground or do they come from like a moth or something? It is actually not a grub. Uh, it's a worm called a cutworm. And oh. uh, they're kind of like grubs. They're, they're not worms like, you know, uh, the type you go fishing with. Uh, it's more like a caterpillar. And closer to that, anyhow. And uh, I believe they come from beetles. I'm not sure. It may be a moth that they come from. Uh Actually, I think it is a moth that they come from, to be honest with you. I'm pretty sure they do come from moths. But those are the critters that will be bugging them, and, uh, yeah, the seven will knock them right out. And that's the same thing that attacks your uh, pumpkin plants also, right? Yep. And that's going to take care of the show for today, but, yes, it is. And we will be back here next week at 1410 WYRGM. Until then, remember, anybody can have a green thumb. All you need is a can of paint. 